Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone, from wherever and whenever you are listening. It's your girl, Omalayo, with my co-host, Nana, here. Hey. So we have a super special episode for you today. Nana and I are going to talk to you about our experience at TEDx Houston, and then I'm going to introduce a very special guest who is actually at TEDx with us as well, mm. where we're going to delve into how we as Afropolitans maintain our ties with our cultures. So stay tuned and buckle your belt and get ready. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we're just going to get straight into the um, the beginning part. So right. I think on our... Um, I think on our museum episode, we told you guys about the um, TEDx Houston event. You know, for anybody out there who doesn't know what TEDx is, TEDx is like, you know, an, I guess a nonprofit or an organization yeah. that's very much about ideas worth spreading. Mm-hmm. So you, they always have all those YouTube talks. So it's always like relatively short talks, like maybe 15 minutes to 20 minutes. To 20 I've minutes. seen some that are like yeah. 15 to 20, 15 some to 30. 20. Yeah. I'm 30. Yeah. Oh. There's okay. a longer one. I don't know. That's way too long. <laughs> but uh-huh. regardless, like, they're always really inspirational, always yes. really inspiring. Very different sometimes and quite right. quirky. Like, just different things that you haven't thought about mm-hmm. um, before. Yeah, and they um, always have, like, really cool people speaking. And so then they have these offshoot events called mm. TEDx. And so those are, like, independently yeah. organized ones. Yeah. Um, and so the one we attended was um, TEDx Houston, which is about African ideas Houston. worth spreading. Still getting my British pronunciations down. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's like Texas Houston. <laughs> yeah. But Houston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this one is specifically about African ideas worth spreading. So Absolutely. this year, Nana and I decided to volunteer for it. And it's been yeah. it was super cool experience. Absolutely. So um, I think I just thought of something. The organization is TED. And then the offshoot events are TEDx mm-hmm. something. Um, but anyway, um, shout out to Nicole, who actually told us about this because I had been to the event in 2016 I thought it was super cool and I remember talking to one of the volunteers and saying oh I want to volunteer and then I think last year I was obviously working and stuff so it just didn't work out um but then this year like I was I was thinking oh I think I'm gonna go whatever because I was missing the student discount which I'm alive conveniently still has um <clears throat> and then Nicole sent the application to us that hey they're actually recruiting mm-hmm. um so it was very clutch um yeah. and, and then for me yeah. I felt like I just wanted to get involved with uh, the African diaspora scene here in London. Um, And I would have probably gone to TEDx regardless but yeah. I was like no like I want to be a part of, of it yeah making it come to life and everything Absolutely. so even though I've never been to it I've seen a couple of the YouTube videos I've seen yeah. the Chimamanda one yeah. um, and all yeah. these different ones and so I just knew that I wanted to like help out behind the be scenes as well so yeah and I remember um, at some point like in the morning we were making like um, speech bubbles and stuff for people mm. to take photos with and I remember remarking I was like wow all these events I just show up and everything runs like a well-oiled machine I didn't actually run realize all the work that goes into behind it. the um behind the scenes yeah so shout out to the team um they were amazing they and, were they were um the people that volunteered with us were all like loads of super amazing um, exactly people that made the experience like you know so worthwhile and so rewarding agreed agreed so speaking yeah. of which though what was your favorite like experience like from that day whether it was the speakers or the composers that we danced to at oh the end gosh. of the day um so just like what aspect of the day was your favorite so okay so I think it goes without saying that obviously um the speakers mm-hmm. um because I mean ultimately that is what it is about isn't it it's about mm-hmm. you know listening to those ideas and getting inspired mm-hmm. and um you know being able to spring to action mm-hmm. to do stuff for the continent so it goes without saying but I think for me as a volunteer this year I'm gonna 
undoubtedly say that it's the people that I met mm-hmm. um, while volunteering. Mm. Um, and like I said, like everybody has such a great attitude. You know, I think sometimes when you hype something in your mind, it can get quite disappointing when you get to it and you're like, oh, these people, they're actually <laughs> also horrible or, you know, whatever. Like, but it, it wasn't that way. It's just, you know, people just coming together and working hard to, um, let an event go on but yeah i know this yeah. is super cheesy but mine was like the energy uh, it's so cheesy right but um i have to say it specifically because while the speakers were amazing and yeah. like you know really give us some ideas to like rally around yeah i feel like without the people who were in the room also like reciprocating the energy that mm, the speakers mm, had and like mm. accepting these ideas and being like yeah 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 like we should do that we should do this mm, and like mm. the stand innovations that some of the speakers got yeah. um so i love that and then like even the energy of the speakers, because I was telling you how I've been to other events where mm. like the speakers come and then they act like these like uppity celebrities, celebrities and they don't want to like <laughs> talk to anyone. They're just like, oh, like I'm just here, like okay, like you know what I mean, and they disappear. <laughs> but like these speakers like actually were on the dance floor like at the Absolutely. after party with us, and I was just like, wow. And so for me, like yeah. when I say like the energy, like I just mean that the like that thing. idea that like you yeah. know we're all the same, like we're all in this room because like we are really passionate about, about the future of Africa and the Absolutely. future of our community. Absolutely. Um, so it was like that specific. Like if I could bottle up that energy and like yes, take it up around with it. me, that I mean not sell it. We're oh, not like gosh. no capitalism here. Yeah, not commodifying this okay. but just like um using that <laughs> energy and always like, draw from i don't know snuffing on it from time to time yeah yeah <laughs> i mean I, I definitely know what you mean um so this year's theme was dream weavers mm-hmm. which i think they define as like a multi-hyphenate person mm-hmm. that like you know weaves it's very like poetic and very um beautifully you know, written very beautifully written um but okay so let's dive into it a bit more like in terms of the speakers mm-hmm so you were your, my favorites so you had mentioned the stand innovation i think hasa abiola um costello like absolutely so for her you know um i had read the bio i was like okay you know human rights activist or you know something mm. of that but i sort. feel like i've seen her face elsewhere before oh, too you? like at an event in dc but i'm really not sure like her face looked really familiar yeah, her familiar. profile seemed familiar i see yeah for me i'd never um i was just like okay cool i wasn't particularly like at the edge of my seat to listen mm. i was just like okay yeah sure 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 and then this one comes on stage and you know the voice is a bit lower yeah, her voice was so just, like the kind of voice you would like want to listen to it was the kind of voice that you'd listen to. And also, I, 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 I don't think it was deliberate. I think that's just how it was delivered. It was slightly lower toned than mm. other speeches. And so you um, implicitly or um, had to lean in, lean in mm-hmm. just a bit more to listen. And when I tell you that she had us from the first word <laughs> until the last, Very last, where it was like, thunderous right almost right. we're like why was this hiding this whole time but like um okay so sorry we're just fangirling over here mm-hmm. so the actual speech so so many gems but her thing was very much about um you know we all have a superpower within us mm-hmm. and sometimes that's as simple as accountability yeah you know that's as simple as being put in charge of public funds and being able to say you know what this money is for building this hospital i will make sure every couple quote-unquote goes to building this couple. hospital mm-hmm. couple um and i think for her it was also about um you know better so you do better mm, because yep. she's saying that you know you know foreign governments international organizations whatever you know politicians whoever have taken advantage of us for so long because it's like oh we have no idea what you're capable of now you know mm-hmm. what um is what people are capable of and what can be done so you protect your country you protect your fellow person you and and I think she delivered it. She was like, "I'm counting on you." Yeah. Oh, 
when I tell you, like, it was like she was speaking to your soul. Yeah, you were like, me? me? She's going on me? Um, I really love the the, the, the pan-African aspect of her speech as well, where mm. she was saying, like, you cannot, like, don't you dare tell me, um, tear me away from my Ghanaian yes. brother and sister, yes. even my Brazilian brother and sister, and mm-hmm. so, you know, um, my African-American brother and sister, like, all of yeah, these things because, saying that, like, yes, you came and tried to divide us, but, like, now, today, we know better, so we're going to yes. do better. You cannot divide us from each other. Absolutely. Um, and then she also had this really cool idea, um, really cool concept where she's like, there's no separation between life and death. And so mm, even though her colleagues, true. so even though her colleagues, so when she held public office in Nigeria, her colleagues were like, oh, like, look at this other, you know, like, stupid person. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, why don't you just take advantage of the position that you're in to, like, pocket a few of this? Like, you know, just, like, mm. take a little off the top mm. whatever and she was like no because like my mom and dad can see me you know what Absolutely. i mean like these people can see me so like even though they've passed on like you're not only accountable to the people that um around you're you, serving you or do. you're around you, your colleagues yeah. are also ac- yeah. accountable to your ancestors yeah. and the sacrifices yeah. that they have made they have for you made to be where you are yeah. so it was like because for her it was very much like because her dad ended up getting killed as well mm-hmm. um so it was very much like my parents died for this mm-hmm. and so i absolutely will not come here and put all that to waste mm-hmm. um but to say it was electrifying um you know it's, it's almost an understatement yeah and we we're all just on our feet and yeah. just blown away and you went and spoke with her afterwards didn't you? i did i did she was so amazing like i said she was one of the speakers that was like on the dance floor dancing with us yes um so she was just such uh just like a very calm spirit um and i talked to her about like our migration narrative because my family moved to the u.s around the time um like after the military dictatorship ended and stuff like that and my but my dad left like as the military dictatorship um like took over basically yeah um so that's like a very much very much a huge part of my family's story mm. um so I just like was talking to her about that and she was really chill and she was like oh yeah like you know let's be in touch because I was also telling her about my dissertation that I'm interested in doing about Ooh. like Nigerians who moved back and everything yeah. like that yeah. so she was like oh yeah like get in touch like we'll talk about it so she was just like I was just really about, yeah just like so down to cause. earth yeah. exactly so just yeah. really down to earth really personable um and just like really affectionate also because she was like you know like she I don't know she hugged me like an auntie when I was like oh, telling her about so our story and everything so she that was really amazing amazing because like once again there's nothing worse than seeing somebody on stage being mm-hmm. electrified and go talk to them and you're like uh. and they're like cold and like, <laughs> mm, 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 like whatever but you're no like, she was not like me, that at all this is all the show <laughs> yeah um, exactly yeah so if you want to see more of this stuff just hop onto the TEDx Eastern which um, Amalia was on the social media team you I guys, was I was the IG page they did such an amazing job but anyway I just hopped onto their Instagram just to give you a couple of quotes um, from Hafsat's speech which was like this isn't the first time that Africa was the most beautiful bride but there has never been a time when it resulted in an equal union mm-hmm. the difference this time is you so um, and then the last thing she left us with which we were like ah you are the ones that will show them with your very lives we will not betray i will not betray i see you i can count on you and i know that you will not either right just like right. And, and then after she said that she just like because usually speak like yeah because <laughs> usually at the end of their speeches the tedx people like kind of like say thank you and like bow or like you know let the applause stop before they walk off the stage but hers was just so like spitfire she like said it and then just like stormed off the stage and it was like all of us like stood up and like <laughs> like just like standing ovation because we're Absolutely. just like yes like so we can count on you you can count on can you count and on. we can count on each other let's because, do it i mean i think that you know I, and i think we'll 
maybe why it also resonated with us other than the delivery or you know whatever is that I, I don't know I feel like us and I was thinking about this recently and I was like maybe um and I, I I hope the answer is no but I was thinking about the fact that for us in our generation like we're very conscious of what's wrong mm-hmm. we're very conscious about what's wrong with our leadership we're very conscious of um all the th- all the ways that we're being let down or all the ways that you know politicians for instance or even us as ordinary day people um we fail each other mm-hmm. and so my thought process then was that oh my goodness you know I pray that that awareness um stays with us mm-hmm. so that as we become the people that are in charge as we're becoming that that we actually live out those principles mm. and then a part of me was like oh maybe our parent generation didn't have that um awareness and I was like mm, they probably, probably did, did. I was like, because oh like God. it was like around independence and it was yeah. all like okay we finally have our country back let's, so like yeah. let's steer it properly like Ugh. that's when our parents were growing up like in that in that kind you of know what I mean? time and then I was so, like oh my gosh I hope we don't lose this. exactly mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like one one speaker who's kind of spoke to that really yeah. well was the that speaker that's been trying to come since so he yes I I am like what's his what's his name um a you pronounce it. I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, Aboyaji. Yeah, yes. So, sorry, just a quick backdrop. So, I don't know if any of you guys know the company Andela. Um, it's a company in Nigeria. Oh, okay. Yeah, that um, I think delivers um, tech training mm-hmm. amongst a, a bunch of things. And um, I think it's very much about being able to channel local talent into you know the big technology firms and startups and etc. So, just really equipping um the youth or the masses with the, the the tools that they or the workforce rather mm-hmm. with what they need to be able to actually survive and live in a digital economy and he was one of the co-founders and there's another payments company in nigeria i think called flutter wave which he was also a part of mm-hmm. um and then i think he recently resigned from that or something like that or stepped down and mm-hmm. he's on a hiatus um, yeah but yeah go on mine yeah so he was just talking about um like the the once the one quote I remember from him was that like yeah. you personal success means nothing if you live in a failing society, and yes. so that was kind of like the one line that kind of like strung his whole speech together because his whole point was just like lift as you climb basically, yes, and don't try to be like a one eyed man in a blind society because Absolutely. he feels like you know a lot of us like quote unquote elite because like we do have to kind of acknowledge our privilege a bit yeah. being yeah. like educated. Yeah. Um, yeah of a certain like socioeconomic status or whatever, yeah. whether or not that's like middle, like wherever you think it is. Yeah. Um, it's still like, there are certain privileges that you do have that there are a lot and a lot of people in our um, continents. And even in this, um, like here yeah. in London, like yeah. who th- that don't have access to those things. Absolutely. Um, and I remember one specific thing he said, um, because this is something that we talk about a lot where he was like, Oh, you know, a lot of people like to say like, Oh, that's not the narrative of Africa. Cause we get angry. Uh, that one, Ooh, you know, was people on were that table, he was shaking. <laughs> <laughs> like we always like to say like you know whenever we see like images of like a poor african children blah 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 and we're like oh like this is not the only story of um yeah. africa like this is there's other narratives blah, blah blah and he's like those starving children don't care about the other narrative Absolutely. you know what i mean because so that was his yeah. whole point like let's stop acting as if there isn't like massive poverty in our countries like why why are the elites in our country like why are the politicians in our are like the you know very rich people in our countries trying to be like oh how like who has the most cars who has the most houses blah 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 why aren't yeah. we seeing like who can pay the most medical bills for people who can mm. feed the most hung like the most hungry people like yeah. the highest number of hungry people like whatever yeah. like why are isn't that the kind of competition that we that have we with loved. each other yeah i'm not gonna lie like for me i've been looking forward to hearing him speak for a while so 
he was supposed to speak in 2016 was supposed to speak in 2017 and i guess apparently because of visa issues and then this was the year so the third time was a charm and i'm not gonna lie like i was very impressed by his background like oh my gosh he founded this super successful company and then went on and found another super successful company oh let me go hear his secrets (laughs) (laughs) and he was like no (laughs) there are no secrets to be divulged this is about you know i i because his his thing was very much like i'm not exceptional for being able to do this mm-hmm. at the end of the day um anybody that's equipped with what i've been equipped with mm. will be able to accomplish all these things mm-hmm. so i'm not that special mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just doing what my privilege and my opportunities and my experiences have allowed me to do so it should be less about what i've been able to do and more about how can this just become the norm yeah so i don't want to be the exception to the rule where i'm being so celebrated for it right i mean I'm, I'm sure of course every now and then he indulges in it a bit but his thing was very much like let's rally up people like yeah. let's all just let's be the whole society instead Absolutely. of like celebrating the one or two people who have been able to like fight and like, like, like climb the cl- climb the ladder like we yeah. should all be able to climb the ladder the kind the of ladder. thing absolutely yeah. so that absolutely. was amazing that was really good mm-hmm. i think sorry i know we've been going on for a bit my other favorite speaker which was the rwanda neurosurgeon so oh. she was the first um um, so she was the first female neurosurgeon in, she is the first, and, first only and the only female neurosurgeon in Rwanda. And so she was telling us the story of how she got to be where she was. And it just made me think of the idea that like, if you don't have in mind that you are enough, like you would have never been able to um, do all that she did. So her name is Claire um, Karakezi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she basically, I think it was like a 15 year journey Ooh. to get her neurosurgeon to become a neurosurgeon. Um, and you guys can definitely, like, well, I think once the TEDx videos are up, you just have yeah. to like, sit down and listen to the whole thing. But one part that really stuck out to me was that she spent like three years, what, 36 months, right? Yep. 36 months emailing this one um, training center in like yep. South Africa, which is like one of the few neurosurgeons. South Africa. Was it? Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, w- but it was shot one of the few neurosurgeon training facilities in the whole African continent. Yes. Um, and so she was emailing them, emailing them, emailing them. And so finally, 36 months later, they finally let her in and, then, and she could begin yeah. her journey. And the host, Eddie, one of the hosts, Eddie Kadi, um, made the joke like, hmm, you people, after one DM, you've given up. And I'm like, this is so me. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. a couple of emails, a yeah. week, a month. I'm like, okay, this is not for me. Exactly. And <laughs> if it was for me, the Lord would have given it to me already. <laughs> <laughs> but she just personally persevered like despite all of that and then because even in addition to like the time it took right people were kind of around her were kind of discouraging her to be like oh as a woman as an African woman like this isn't really for you like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because I feel like we're always trying to encourage women to like go give birth early or whatever it is that you think that women should be doing exactly and so for her to like invest this amount of time in from like to be from the society that she's from and to have the pressures that were around her but still besides that like persevere like she Mm -hmm. definitely has to Mm -hmm. have some internal Mm -hmm. Voice telling her that she is that enough, she is that enough. She, this is her path is and her everything. Path. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. her speech was very, very like very meaningful good. to yeah. me. Yeah. So suffice to say that the day was filled with so many, and of course, mm-hmm. the last day we talk about the composers. Oh, they the, oh, we were jamming away, yeah. to Joanna. We're jamming to everything. Um, you good. know, we will just say that once the videos are uploaded, um, absolutely, um, go and check it oh, out. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, 
if I talk about my takeaway other than, you know, the amazing experience from a volunteer standpoint, um, it's just, it's given me a lot to think about. And I mm-hmm. think um, whenever I think about the things that I'm, I, I want to do or my future, moving back or whatever, I think about it in very like theoretical terms. So I think about it still in a very far away mm-hmm. sense, because I think, you know, I say to myself that I have to be able to get to a certain point or have a certain expertise mm-hmm. or be a bit older or whatever. But I'm, you know, I'm realizing more and more that like nobody knows what they're doing mm-hmm. when they start. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to get to some point where you will magically be now well equipped to start that business back home that you wanted to start or whatever. Like as long as you're motivated and you're passionate um, about making a real difference and actually persevering because I think mm-hmm. that's the other element that sometimes it can look like a fairy tale of going back home and right. blowing up and doing lord knows what but also just being super grounded and just making a start yeah just make a start one step at a time yeah. one day at a time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah so I think that's that's our recap before our TEDx experience it was amazing and I was, <laughs> I was like no not coming next year and then she's like are you even gonna be around because <laughs> I mean I'm like I like I'm already like looking forward to the next one because it was just so yeah amazing. she said that and I was like, huh? But <laughs> we shall see. You never know where see. you'll be. Yeah, you never know. Hey, I yeah. can, you guys just, um help me convince her that she should stay for a couple more a couple more months after her program <laughs> is done. Because you hey. got, you graduate when August? Um well we turn in our dissertation in September. Okay, good. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know when like proper graduation is. No, it'll be the next year. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I know some people like um I know somebody who graduated like finished their program earlier this year and then they graduated like they did their graduation summer like December. December. So, oh, so it could depends be. on the school. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Awesome. And so then we'll just like move right along to the next half of this lovely podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome back to part two of this lovely episode. So Nana has gone off and it's now just me with a very special guest for you all. And I'm gonna let Kirsty go ahead and introduce herself. Hi everyone, my name is Kirsty. I am a PhD student here at SOAS. I'm in the Development Studies Department. I also run an online platform called the Nana Project, which is all about preserving Ghana's history through the voices of Ghanaian elders. That is awesome. So Kirsty and I actually met at a SOAS event where the vice president of Ghana was on <laughs> campus. And I was like, I gotta go to this. And then I was supposed to come too, but you know, work and things. And so I saw another girl who was in a um, head wrap looking all Afrocentric and everything. So I sat beside her. Um, and then it, it turned out that the person behind you was, was like my tutor. Yeah. yeah. And so then we all started chatting. And now we stay in touch and because it was actually so funny because my professor had been like, oh, you have to reach out to this girl because she's doing transna- um, research on like transnational, um, like second generation Ghanaian immigrants. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I ended up meeting her at an event on campus. So it was pretty cool. And then we ended up again, like just all these circles that we were finding our finding ourselves in. Um, we ended up both volunteering for TEDx. Mm-hmm. So did you enjoy the TEDx experience as well? I did. TEDx, you know, I've been following TEDx Houston for some time. Um, even before I came to London, I followed them on Twitter and I would follow, you know, their the different TED Talks that, that they would put up. So, and I went last year. Mm-hmm. Um, since I was like, oh, I'm in London now. Like, I definitely want to come to this. And this year is like, well, I think I want to be a part of it in right. some way. And I'm really glad that I did. The day was really, it was really fun and the energy was really great. Everyone, like, it was just, 
everyone had a really good time. The speakers yeah. were great. I'm really glad that I decided to volunteer. It was fun. Since we're already in it now, like tell us a little bit more about the Nana Project and um, the importance of preserving these like historical traditions that you're talking about. Yeah, so I started the Nana Project officially in like 2015. That's when it was launched. But before then, I had been working on it for like a year or mm-hmm. a year and a half. And then before then, like seven years prior, wow. like that was when I guess the seed was planted and it was uh-huh. when my maternal grandmother passed. Mm-hmm. She was 96 and we buried her in Ghana in her hometown. And that was only my second time I had been to Ghana and I was 19. So it was 2007. Ghana had just turned 50. And so I was kind of doing the math. I was like, wait, Granny's 96. Ghana's 50. Mm. That means Grandma was 46 when Ghana became an independent nation. Which means there's a whole 46 years of colonial history that she knew and lived and experienced. But we don't, like, no one, like, knows about that Mm -hmm. unless they were, like, with it or doing, they were living it with her. Right. Um, Because she's gone now. Yeah. And, like, no one really asked her. Mm. So, So then, like, I start, like, after that, in subsequent trips to Ghana, I would just be asking my relatives about, there's different things I remember about Ghana's history. Right. Like, oh, like, do you remember the coup or, or the 1966 coup? Or yeah. do you remember this and that? Yeah. They would tell me, and I just, I would think, I thought it was really interesting. So I was like, I feel like I should put this, like, online and, yeah. like, let people share their histories and, like, share, and share, um, their experiences, yeah. like, the firsthand, like, accounts of those yeah. things that we like because like we read about them a little bit like um in history books or mm-hmm. whatever and then even that to some extent like you only get a certain perspective because I think there's a similar thing with Nigeria when we had the Biafran war yeah because like so my says for example my parents um or at least my mom she's a bit younger than my dad um were like kids during the Biafran war so that's when the Igbo part of Nigeria yeah. tries to secede from the rest of Nigeria um and so my mom and her siblings have stories of them like running when the um soldiers came to like Oka and like that area um so so my mom were kids so that means my mom's parents would have been like grown adults like my um I know one of my mom's siblings was in the military for um for the Biafran military things like that um and but nowadays like so recently in Nigeria there's been some people who are like oh like we need to re reinvigorate Biafra like we need to secede again blah 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 but it's because they don't know how catastrophic the history of it was because those who actually lived it like like you said we're not asking them about it and like we only like read about it briefly like online but we're not like reading the first-hand accounts of the people who were like running from soldiers mm-hmm. who were like you know who had siblings dying of famine and so you got a glimpse of Biafra um like the Biafran war from um Chimamanda's book Half of a Yellow Sun mm-hmm. but it's not the same as like sitting down with your grandmother and being like tell me about the war yeah yeah and it's interesting you brought that brought up that book because reading that book also made me think like we need to do a better job of preserving our histories because yeah. I was reading it and I had never heard of the, the Biafra war at like at all right and so I remember like I I was reading it and I was like am I the only person who didn't know that this war happened <laughs> and so when I asked my mom and I was like mom do you know about this like Biafra war and she was like yeah yeah and she started singing some song that people used to sing about um what's the name of oh, 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 what's his name 
the general. Anyway, see, this is why we got to do Yeah, we got to do better. <laughs> I'm like, let me Google that real quick. Yeah, yeah so the, it's, it's, it's really important. Um, and I, I also think it's history could repeat itself. Like, I mean, it, could be, it could repeat itself, but I also think it's like studying it properly or like having people share their experiences mm-hmm. can be viewed as a political thing, mm. which some people can take negatively. Because um, I know, like, for example, Kwame Nkrumah is like, you know, the be all end all of Ghana. <laughs> like, that's all, like right. the only name we know from Ghana. And right. him and Kofi Annan. And then we're like, okay, Ghana history done. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and people, he's, he's spoken about in a very positive way, which is, I think, fair because he did do a lot of great things for mm-hmm. Ghana. But at the same time, like he's, you know, what one of my friends calls a problematic brave mm. because he also, while he did a lot of good things, it came at a cost to the people. Yeah. And that he, you know, banned political parties. And I was, like, yeah, I was about to say, himself. this is the way he was like, trying to like consolidate power towards the exactly. end of his presidency. Exactly. And so my uncle, and his story is on the Nana Project website. He shared about being a young student at university and, um, not really liking the things that Nkrumah was doing mm. and him and his friends and other people were vocal and they were protesting and like a bunch of you know security people came and like beat them all up and, and so, those are the stories of Nkrumah that we don't hear about right, right. and if you say these things it's kind of like oh you're like trying to like tarnish his legacy I was like mm. I'm not trying to do that but we need to be honest about the things that happened in yeah our... because we can look back on history with like rosy colored glasses because mm-hmm. I think that was the issue with all these like young Nigerians that were like, oh, let's revive Biafra because you only have like the rosy picture of like, oh, like Igbo, um, Igbo autonomy or whatever, whatever. Like you're not talking about like the specific nuances mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of what led to pe- of to what led to Igbo people wanting to secede from um like the rest of Nigeria. Right. So And it didn't go even just from reading the book. Yeah. <laughs> I saw her speak at um the theater, the Silver Something Theater. You no, know, I don't know it. Is it not, are you from Silver Spring? <laughs> no, I'm like from like two hours oh, south okay. of there. <laughs> I don't know anything. Okay, so so this for some place in yeah. this theater in, in DC in, area. Yeah, and and she was so she was speaking about the book, mm-hmm. and she said that like all the stories in the book happened. Right. So I mean, it happened to, to somebody, different people, but yeah, they're, yeah, some but they're true stories. Right. And so I'm just like, even just reading this book, which is like historical fiction but mm-hmm. like also kind of true like that was, there are a lot of really bad things that was that that happened yeah like well, I, I guess i mean from i mean it sounds like it's also a sense of like them wanting to be proud to be yeah. evil which is i mean not a bad thing but to like secession is just not it's, it's not, not the answer and there's historical can't... evidence that that's not the yeah. answer so if we just <laughs> Sat with our grandparents for a couple minutes, but I actually did have a question because so on the Instagram page for the Nana Project, there's one question that you had put up recently on like, do you know your grandparents' parents? Mm-hmm. So that would be like our great grandparents, right? Yeah. So I was wondering um, if you meant no, as in like no of, or like no, like no personally, and then regardless of the answer, why did you pick that touch point or that generational touch point as like the question that you asked? So, first question, I meant no as in, like, do you know anything about them mm. generally? So like, mm-hmm. Some people have met, like, I've met my great-grandmother on my father's side. Right. So, my dad's mom's mom. Wow. I've met, yeah, she was, um, yeah, she, yeah, the first time we went to Ghana, 
she yeah, she was still alive. And so yeah. I met her. I thought that was really I was twelve, but I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um and then the second question, why I picked that. Um, I guess we're old enough I guess most people more or less probably know their grandparents mm-hmm. or know something about them. But knowing to know your great grandparents mm-hmm. or know like either know them personally or know something about them like stories about them yeah is, like... is knowing your family's history mm. and knowing like i think history in general um because the times in which that they lived are so different from now right so so someone asked that question initially on twitter and some of the answers that people were giving like one woman said her great grandmother like helped hide jews in mm. like during world war Two. So that's like, so she knows something about her family's history, but also like world history. Right. She's talking about World War II. And so I know for me, my maternal great-grandmother, so my grandma's mom, was the village midwife. Mm. Um, and she was known for always having food at her house. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what else. My my aunt, my mom's sister, they're, she's my aunt is much older than my mom. Right. Uh, so my aunt said... She distinctly remembers going around with my great grandma, who's her her, her grandma. Um, like as my great grandma would be making her rounds around town, like my aunt would go with her and just mm-hmm. kind of like be like tagging along, <laughs> assistant midwife. <laughs> and I thought that was I thought that was really yeah, that was really cool. Exactly, because like I think nowadays, like as we are young adults, we're starting to learn a little bit more about like our parents and when they grew up, mm-hmm. and so to be able to like also learn about your grandparents as well and then on top of that your great-grandparents I feel like that just gives you this really rich picture of your family history that not everyone is privileged to almost Mm -hmm. and I feel like especially as Africans in the diaspora um we might not have access to that as easily as others who might have grown up around their grandparents so Mm -hmm. for example um my family we moved to the U.S. when I was about seven Mm -hmm. and so I have a little a few memories of um both my grandmothers, but not really my grandfathers, because they kind of both, um, no, no, sorry. So my dad's dad, so my grandfather on my dad's side, he passed away, like, I'm pretty sure before I was born, because I have, like, zero memories of him, mm-hmm. but I do have some memories of my mom, my dad's mom, um, and I have a lot of memories of my mom's mom, because she's still alive. I've seen her as an adult, mm-hmm. um, but as a child, I only really have memories of um, my mom's mom my mom's dad a little bit and then my dad's mom and so like I have no idea what else is going on above that but because I didn't get to grow up around them I only have childhood memories of most of them Mm -hmm. except for my mom's mom who's the only one that's um, still living Um, and so she's the one that like like whenever I do get to go to Nigeria I try to make it to Oka and um, where's my mom's side of the family is from and like see her a bit but like it's tough because um, she like I think she understands, I'm pretty sure she understands English, but like she mostly speaks Igbo um, and I don't speak Igbo that well. And so there's also that language barrier that um, isn't, that's there as well. Mm-hmm. But my mom's mom did actually come live with us. I just remember now, did come live with us when my sister was first born. Cause like in um, um, our culture, it's like typical for the mom to come live with you when you first give birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like my only memory of her. So I wonder like, as Africans in the diaspora, if we don't have that easy access to like sit down at our grandparents' feet and ask them all these questions, how can we engage with our traditions and our histories? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why 
part of the reason why I'm doing this because yeah. if you don't have access to an elder or grandparent, you can just kind of borrow the ones that are on the website. But I think though, like, so even if you don't have your grandparents, you might have your parents, you might have an aunt or uncle mm. and they've, I mean, they've experienced the same history, the same historical events. It might've impacted them in different ways. Right. Um, but at a different age, yeah, yeah, but it's still an experience nonetheless. Yeah, so I think, it's still like part of the family memory. Yeah, yeah. So I think just learning from the people you you have access to. I mean, because mm-hmm. I mean, what else can you do? Right. If you like, it's you know, it can be expensive going to Ghana or Nigeria mm-hmm. um, unless you like save up or you know put it on a credit card or something like that <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> right 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 so I, I think learning from or just like talking to the elders you have around you the elders that you know are in your church or right. your mosque or um, you know, even like even here at SOAS there's so many Ghanaian people that work here uh-huh. yeah so like just I mean just realizing who is around you right and the, the people you do have access to and right. they're willing to share with you right so I, like in my experience even if um people aren't willing to speak on camera they're still willing to share their their stories yeah so i think it's important for us to really just ask right honestly right right, yeah. right. and i think especially like as um well i was gonna say afropolitans but i know you have a thing with that and we'll get into it in just a little bit but I think you know as members of the African diaspora or just like as members of like you know the next generation you know like in a few years time we'll be the ones like in decision making mm-hmm. hopefully decision making roles and mm-hmm. things like that because I think we're we're constantly trying to change um the image of Africa right and mm-hmm. on the global stage and we're trying to like redirect the future of Africa and for me I kind of feel like we are very much so in this like period of like the African renaissance where um our generation we're like we're tired of the way that Africa has been treated um and I know Hafsat but just to bring back to the TEDx talk real quick she had said the thing that um we mentioned earlier about um there has this isn't the first time that Africa is the most beautiful bride. Mm-hmm. The difference now is that we know better, right? Mm-hmm. So we know better, we must do better, blah, blah, blah. But I think that an essential part of that knowing better is also just knowing history, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it's cool that we want to like, you know, change the direction of Africa's future, you know, rewrite the African narrative, mm-hmm. all these things. But how are you doing that without a solid understanding of our rich history, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And so what are you hoping then that like what is the future of the Nana project to you like in your like where are you hoping to go with it oh gosh I have so many ideas okay I think the biggest one would be to like make a documentary mm-hmm. of the stories that we've collected so far or like picking a specific topic and like just doing interviews based on that because right now the interviews that we have on the website are like life history interviews mm-hmm. just asking people but like, you know, the childhood was like and, you know, what they remember about different events that happened throughout Ghana's history. But I think maybe focusing on I don't want to, like, give my ideas away, but <laughs> focusing on on a certain time or certain um, like a subject. Event or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like doing a documentary around that I okay think that's something and then it'll show to. clips from different people's life histories and so yeah. like the same event but then how like different people experienced, experienced it. it yeah oh I love that that's so so beautiful um and then I had a, another question but it's like 
escaping me at the moment. Oh, okay. So the reason why I really like the Nana Project is because as I was scrolling through, it kind of made me think about that quote that like um, the story of the hunt will mm-hmm. always be told by the victor, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I feel like that is why it is so important to like capture the the narratives and the histories and the stories of our elders mm-hmm. um, because like they aren't the stories that are um, retold of mm-hmm. Africa's colonization or of if, or even um, independence because I, I, as you said, like, even um, even the independence period, like we tell the very like rosy colored version of Nkrumah, for example. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's like the only version of like the independence period that mm-hmm. we talk about. We don't talk about like the other dissenting voices mm-hmm. or um, smaller groups and how people were affected like mm-hmm. on the day to day. So I think in retelling the African narrative, it's important to like have those elder stories. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then so on the issue of Pan-Africanism, though, let's let's dive right into that. So earlier, Kirsty was telling me that she is not up for the term um, Afropolitan, <laughs> um, that you don't identify as an Afropolitan. So could no. you go into that a little bit? And then as you do, let me know what you think of the term Pan-Africanism and um, transnationalism as well. So okay. we can do that one last. Because uh, I know also like, because for me, I feel like sometimes people use Afropolitan as kind of like the millennial Pan-Africanism Pan-Africanism? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might be saying people and I'm like, what's me? (laughs) Who knows? Um, But yeah, so what do you think of those terms? How do you identify with them? I mean, I think Pan-African, I mean, I don't have any issues with that. Okay. Uh, I think, I guess, on a surface level definition, like uniting, but for me, like not uniting people on the African continent, yes, but across the entire African diaspora. Because while, you know, each that di- you know African diaspora group has its um issues that are unique to it. There are like, issues that we all experience globally, mm. and I think having i mean in a dream world where we can all have a united front <laughs> um and and really make the use of our you know political and economic power mm-hmm. I think that'd be a beautiful thing um the term afropolitan I don't like because I think. I mean, this. I don't think this was the initial intent of the word, mm-hmm. but I think it has become a classist term, mm. and I don't like that. Right. And I think it's like, like all the things that Afropolitan is identified with now are like young African people who are like jet setting here and there, and they work <laughs> at the World Bank, uh-huh. and you know they're always like wearing Ankara on Friday nights, and they're like going to the like I don't. It's very. Like there's the 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 imagery and just the connotations of it, mm-hmm. I just really can't. I don't I don't like. Okay. I don't want to be associated with, with that. Okay. Yeah. How do you think that differs? Because the the um, Pan Africanism itself, on a philosophical level, mm-hmm. was a little bit elitist too, because it would have been because a lot of the thinker, the Pan African thinkers, mm-hmm. were typically um, um, middle to higher income whatever and you know studied in western um institutions and everything like that and they came back and we're like okay we're all african blah 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 so like that term itself also has like um, elitist connotations yeah exactly i guess the proof is in the pudding um (laughs) even the other the the au is not a a perfect institution Mm -hmm. but it is an institution that was created out of the pan-african movement right um 
I don't. Hmm. I'm trying to pick my words carefully. <laughs> don't I worry, just, we won't come for you. <laughs> maybe I'm, this might be my ignorance, but I just don't know what institutions has Afropolitanism created. Uh, okay. Um, and it doesn't seem like Afropolitanism is a movement or an ideology in the same way that pan-african pan-africanism is okay um yeah so because i know um so so some of the um critiques of afropolitanism similar to you is that and then i think this critique was also on the term afrocentric as well that it's Mm -hmm. more of like a capitalist commodity kind of thing so to be afropolitan is to like buy ankara you know like Mm -hmm. Like and there's like a certain look and a certain aesthetic yes. with Afropolitanism, not necessarily like um, an idea and an ideology. Is more like what you buy, what you do, how you present yourself. Yeah. Um, so that is the critique that I've heard. But I know, like personally, for me, I guess the reason um, I like like the term Afropolitan or identify with it is that it's this idea of like, yes, I'm Nigerian, but like above and beyond that, like there's also like this very American side of me because mm-hmm. I did spend so much of my time in the U.S. and so I do identify as that. And so like for me, Afropolitan is this ability to like feel a connection with, um, you know, others who have the similar narrative, but then also just others who are really into like the future of Africa and like, you know, the mm-hmm. African Renaissance and things of that nature. And so I always kind of say that like, I don't necessarily think you have to have left the continent to be afropolitan mm-hmm. i do feel like it's more of a um of a feeling than a demographic um so i don't think you have to be like oh like an american ghanaian or like a whatever to be afropolitan mm-hmm. so, but i think you are right that the term is often like used to be like oh like afropolitan party afropolitan like this that um yeah yeah it's interesting yeah <laughs> Okay, so how about um, transnationalism? And then we can, like, move into um, your PhD research a little oh, bit more okay. then. <laughs> so tell me what your thoughts are on, um, like, explain the term. Because we, we did talk about transnationalism a little bit on our first episode when we reintroduced, like, what Afropolitan meant to us. Um, mm-hmm. So do check out episode one of season two um, to hear a little bit more about that. Um, and I think I tried to explain transnationalism a little bit, um, but I think you'll probably do a much better oh, job at it. <laughs> we will see. I think, and again, and I guess it's simplest terms, mm-hmm. uh, transnationalism is existing across like more existing across more than one like nation state space. Yes. Okay, uh, <laughs> and I think I mean the similarities that exist or I guess you could say like Afropolitan is an example of a transnational identity mm-hmm. because because Afropolitans have ties to more than one country and are often moving back and forth between you know, different places but I feel like the same could be said about you know immigrants who don't have very high paying jobs like mm-hmm. you might be a cleaner or you know, working at McDonald's or something and you're from another country, but you're saving up and you're going to Mexico, you're going back to Ghana or Bangladesh as often as you can. Mm -hmm. So you also have, like, you are, you're a transnational person, but I guess there's no, like, fancy term for those people because they don't have fancy jobs. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is part of the reason why I don't like the You don't like the word Afropolitan? Yes. That's so funny. <laughs> okay, well, you've told us a little bit about what transnationalism is, and I think that that concept of having ties, whether that's the ties of like remittances that you need to send back home mm -hmm. to take care of your family, or um, if it's like going back home as often as you can once you have saved mm -hmm. up, um, I think that's a very essential part of transnationalism. Mm -hmm. But I think like it doesn't have to have that physical tie as well, yeah, yeah. right? It could just be like, oh, I always keep it. I always like stay up to date with like the news that's going on in the country that like yeah. I'm from or my family's from or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think most well, I don't want to say most people. That's probably not true. But a lot of the people I know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because I am from an immigrant family, a lot of people I know do have transnational ties of some sort. So like you said, it isn't always about going to the country of origin. If you, have, um, if you are on WhatsApp, congratulations, you have transnational ties. <laughs> because, <laughs> because you are most likely messaging people all over the oh, like all over the world like right. even in my what the whatsapp groups i'm in people from ghana people from the u.s mm -hmm. um people in canada like and you don't because it's become so commonplace now like mm -hmm. you don't even really think like oh like i'm in a transnational community in my right. whatsapp group but you are that's so interesting yeah so okay tell me um so you're doing research on Ghanaian second generation yeah 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 and so even the t so i know if you're listening you might if you you were born outside of your um parents home country mm -hmm. you will probably describe yourself as a first generation because you're the first person born in the country right that's what i like up until i got into the migration field that's yeah. what i was also doing yeah uh -huh. i know the so that the academic term is second generation if you were born like if you're the first one born because you'd be like second generation immigrant yes yeah yes which is confusing for a lot of people so exactly. i just wanted to like clarify that Science i think there's yeah. some yeah there's some someone told me that there's some literature like pushing back against that about like how academia labels people versus how people themselves label themselves, label themselves. yeah, yeah. so but i think maybe it would just like as long as you put like second generation immigrant so a second generation immigrant would also be like a first generation American, for example, right? right? And so it would just be like whatever descriptor you put at the end of second or first generation. Right. Yeah. And then I was, I really threw everyone for a loop when I started talking about like 1.5 generation. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like um, that's my group, right? Because I, I was agree. very yeah. young when I moved to the U.S. And so I'm like, oh, I'm a 1.5 generation immigrant, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a whole, yeah, there's a whole... There's so much. There's a, it's a, it's there's a lot. lot to yeah, it. but yeah, let's focus in specifically on what you're doing with your research. Okay. Regardless of what you term the group yeah. that you're <laughs> researching. Yeah, so I am looking at the, the uh, children of Ghanaian immigrants okay. in London in New York City. Yeah. And these are adult children, so people who are 18 and up. And I'm examining their participation in different transnational practices, especially remittance sending. Uh, engagement in diaspora organizations mm -hmm. and digital media usage mm -hmm. in regards to how they use digital media to maintain connections with people in Ghana and people in other diaspora populations. Okay. So I've been doing my research here in London for the past few months. And in January, I'll be in New York for about five months from January to May doing research there. Okay. And then after that, I will go to Accra to do more research, I will. The, the plan is to 
interview returnees from both London and New York City mm. who are now living in Ghana. Because I feel like a lot of um, diaspora work talks a lot about the country of origin, yeah. but doesn't really engage with the country of origin. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so I was like, well, I don't really like that. <laughs> um, so I wanted to somehow incorporate Ghana mm-hmm. Into what into what I was doing. what you're trying to do, yeah. yeah. And I feel like because um in our generation, and this is an episode that we'll talk about. This is something that we'll talk about in a later episode. But th- there is a lot of people in our generation now um who are looking to move back, either mm-hmm. short term or long term, to start their career, start a business, blah blah blah. So that's definitely like what I'm interested in doing my master's dissertation on as well mm-hmm. in the Nigerian context, because there's like a whole industry building up around returnees mm-hmm. um but specifically about um still now looking at the stuff that you've done so far so have you finished your field work for london for now yes okay <laughs> are there any themes that are coming out yet as far as like the kind of ties that people maintain and especially like compared to their parents too um or you're not doing the comparison as much not not so much with their parents okay. the, it's the comparison will really be more between you know the london like second gens in london and new york okay um there is i do ask a question in the interviews if they feel like their engagement with ghana is different from that of their parents okay. and almost everyone says yes mm. uh, simply because their parents were born there so right. they don't have to necessarily work as hard or make as much of an effort to engage with Ghana as... To maintain those ties. Exactly, yeah. as, as they do. But there's definitely still engagement happening in, in different forms, though. It's not everybody that wants to move back to Ghana or right. not everybody that wants to go and join a... Diaspora organization. Exactly. Yeah. But, they, you know, they'll, they'll, their church might be predominantly African or Ghanaian or they'll watch, you know, Ghanaian music videos or go to, you know, Ghanaian parties and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And for them, that's enough. Like, right. They don't need to... You know, they don't they don't need all the other stuff. But some people they they do not that they need, but that that's how they want to engage. They do they do want to go back. Mm-hmm. They do want to like be in all the diaspora organizations right. and really um work to make an impact in in, in the ways that they feel Ghana needs. Right. Um so I think those are some of the themes that have that have come through. Yeah. Um one question that I have was because I feel like a lot of our parents might have been because in like um what do you call these things like community specific organizations like Mm -hmm. you know nigerians in london or like even just like ondo people in london kind of groups so do you feel that our generation when we're joining when the ones that who do decide to join diaspora groups do they tend to be like ghanaian diaspora groups or do they tend to be more like African diaspora groups, kind of like we would find at our university campuses, because mm-hmm. a lot of us were part of like Afro Caribbean societies, mm-hmm. right? And so they wouldn't just be for like one specific group of Africans or one specific group of Caribbeans. It would just be more of that like Pan African identity brings us together into this quote unquote diaspora or student organization. So which one do you see more like of the people who do join diaspora groups? Uh, these are more Ghanaian. Really? Yeah, Ghanaian okay. organizations. I think our parents, they join organizations that are more around, like, um, their hometown mm-hmm. or their... The hometown associations, yeah, right? hometown associations, or, um, I don't like to say the word, what's the word? A community, as in, like, a can people or a people, I guess, are a can, sorry. <laughs> and, um, 
or like you know Enzyma Association or the Ewa Association, things of that nature. Um, the second gens were more just generally like we're Ghanaian, so we okay. joined like what Ghanaian organizations. Um, I don't, I haven't come across a lot of Pan African organizations here in London, but okay. I also haven't been unless it's just the people that I've been interviewing that right. is not a part of them. Unless um, I mean, you could count churches, some okay. churches as. Pan-African, yeah, African right. organizations. Yeah. I'll be super interested to see what you um, find in the U.S. in in New York, because I know yeah. at least like in D.C., right, like the the Maryland D.C. area. I just felt like a lot of like the Nigerian organizations specifically just seemed to be full of like people of my parents' generation, mm-hmm. whereas like the other organizations like Yap D.C. for example, yeah. Young African Professionals, would be full of people like our age. Um, and then yeah, so that. So that I guess that's why I made the assumption that maybe people our age identified with um, or like just joined groups that were a little bit more quote unquote pan African mm-hmm. um, as compared to our parents' age. Like I don't see too too many people in the DC area who are like, okay, I'm Nigerian, so I'm joining this like Nigerian organization. It just seemed like it was mostly our parents yeah. that were doing that. So I'd be really interested to see how your New York field work goes. Yeah, me too. There seems it's right now. It doesn't seem like. Um... There are lots of second gen Ghanaian diaspora organizations. It does seem uh, like they're a bit more pan African yeah. or they organize more around church or you know, other things. Um, I think in DC, I know there wasn't any young Ghanaians doing things organization exactly. Um, there was, I know the Ethiopians and the Eritreans, they ha- but they're, they're a huge community yeah. in DC, so yeah, so I yeah. think it's like, I mean, there's there's reasons why some some groups of some groups of people do and some don't. Right. Um, and that yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons why, and that varies from location to location. Got it. Got it. So, what are you hoping the impact of your research is? Like, who's the research for, and what do you hope will be done with it? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> who is the research? You know, who is the research for? I guess. I embarked on this project because I didn't like what I was seeing in academia mm-hmm. regarding the second generation experience mm-hmm. and how we and how we were discussed. Um, a lot of the literature says, you know, makes it seem that, you know, the children of immigrants aren't engaging with their countries of origin, mm-hmm. and that they are is less than their parents. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's less. I think it's different. Mm. And it's I don't think it's really fair or accurate to just dismiss these experiences because they don't look like what our parents are doing. Exactly. So I guess in the, and again, in an ideal world, my, <laughs> my dissertation would give more validity to the second generation experience in academia i think that's really what i'm trying to do to show like this is a second gen experience for you know for ghana Mm -hmm. um this is how they're engaging with their countries of origin this is how they're engaging with each other Mm -hmm. it's how they're engaging with you know their families you know transnationally um because i think the more evidence we have that these things exist the more like money and things that can go to these areas exactly. so i think it's important. the more power we can put behind exactly. it exactly like... exactly so i think that's why it's it's really important like research is it's important i feel like if there's no you know um people 
want evidence of these things. Mm-hmm. And so while there's definitely a lot of talk around these, you know, the, the this second generation experience, we need like concrete evidence and examples of the things that are going on exactly and then that way from there people can like build policies and institutions to support and bolster these um transnational ties that you're saying already exist and so i think there's a lot of stuff now that like iom for the international organization for migration does Mm -hmm. based off research that they know that our parents more so do the kind of transnational ties that our parents do Mm -hmm. and so they're able to like create programs and structures around those kinds of ties. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like your research will allow people to see that the second generation ties, it's not as if they're non-existent, they just look different. This is how they they look and this is how they can be bolstered. These are the institutions, the structures that can be created to like um, enhance those ties. Yeah. 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 And then speaking of academia though, um, can you talk a little bit very briefly about what it's like to be... um, in academia as like a second generation Ghanaian or immigrant (laughs) so getting the terms so I guess like both from the perspective of like because you know we our parents were always like oh like you got to do this this like these are the acceptable job roles from that perspective but then also from the perspective of just being like black in these like institutions Yeah. yeah well my I'm really fortunate because my parents aren't really like stereotypical Ghanaian or African parents. I think they are in some ways and like, you know, showing respect for your elders, like not shaking with your left hand, stuff like that. <laughs> um, but in regards to my sister and I and our career paths, you know, as long as we were happy and could make money, <laughs> they were um they were okay. So my sister is actually an opera singer mm-hmm. and you know, my parents have always, she's been singing since she was a kid. Mm. And when she was like nine or so, my parents put her in singing classes. Uh, and she's just been on that path since then. Wow. So it wasn't, you know, and, and I didn't even, I don't, I don't know if I consider myself to be an academic per se. I know I'm in academia. Yes. I am doing <laughs> a PhD, but I don't, I don't know if I necessarily feel like I'm part of the academy, mm. at least not yet. Um, but I think so far my experience has been okay. And yeah. I, but I think it's because I've reached out to a lot of black women mm. and other um, women of color who have started before me or, right. like, you know, and so they've been able to give me a lot of advice and mm-hmm. insight that I probably wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. Right. And having them in these spaces has been, it's been really helpful um, for, for practical reasons, but also emotional reasons as well. Cause they know what I'm going through wow. and like, cause they've been through it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's been, I, I think I do worry though, like when I finish, if I do decide to pursue a career in academia, there's just so much bad press about how hard it is to be not, if you're not white and not a man mm-hmm. you're in academia, I mean, I guess across any field, but it's, but you know, in academia, um, it's, it's really difficult. <laughs> and I just, I'm not, I don't, but I also know that there is a need for people like me 
to be in these spaces. Yeah. But that can come at an emotional cost. Yeah. And mental cost. And Dang. yeah. So right now, I, I don't, like, am I, I don't know. Like, am I, don't I ready know. to yeah. put up this emotional labor for this? Yeah. Um, cause I, cause I don't know, just the topic of your research alone kind of says why it's important for people like you to be in these spaces because without your experience as a second gen, you wouldn't know that you wouldn't know to be like, okay, like this is a specific phenomenon that is of interest and that should be like researched and written about. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is why it's in, it is super, super important. Um, but then the idea of like the emotional labor that we put on ourselves to succeed in these spaces that weren't meant for our success <laughs> um, is something that we talked about in a previous episode with um, Kobe, who's a, a mental a, a therapist, and so she's talked to us about mental health and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I think it's definitely important to remember a lot of the things that she has said about just like taking time um, for yourself and like knowing what your boundaries are and mm -hmm. setting those up um, from the jump. Um, so based on the advice that others have told you in your own experience, what advice would you give to anyone seeking to go into academia that is like of the African diaspora or like still whatever, whatever the demographic we know we're talking about. <laughs> uh, make sure you get on well with your supervisor. Mm. That's really important. Mm. I get on really well with my supervisor. Shout out to Dr. Laura Hammond. Hey. Um, like what you, I know people like say that like this is a very intensive project. Mm -hmm. It's really important that you like what you're doing, right? And also, don't be afraid to add. Like that's like been I think key for me not being afraid to ask for help, knowing that I mean I, I find those people first, um, and that can and and you you're gonna have to be like be bold in doing mm. that because when I even before I started at SOAS when I came to visit. I looked at the SOAS website to just kind of see like who is like doing work that's similar to what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I found a, a student who's a Jamaican American girl from New York mm -hmm. and we were doing similar work in diaspora. And I must email her. I'm like, Hey, I'm coming to visit. Do you have like an hour so we can just chat? Right. And she's my friend. Like and she's Aww. still my friend, you know? Yeah. And she's been Nadia. I think it's like taking and putting yourself out there to find those people right um that can really help you and you also help them right um as needed oh there's a point I was going to make before that oh yeah asking for help <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so finding those people so you can ask for help and not like really not being afraid to do that because people have experienced what you're experiencing, what mm. you're experiencing. Like you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, and they've gotten through it. So right. talking to the people that have gone before you, right? So they can give you advice on. That just brings me up like full circle back to the Lana oh. project. You know what I mean? How beautiful is that? Because like that's the same concept of like sitting by our elders and being like, "Tell us what you know." Yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah. It, it really is. That's yeah. amazing. So yes. Ask your elders, whether that's elders in your industry or elders in your country, yeah. <laughs> ask them for advice and their stories. Um, and I think another key point that you had made was like liking what you're working on. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, don't 
don't go into a PhD or any industry really because you feel pressure to before, because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do or because you feel that's what your parents want you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always really important to like pick a career path that you're passionate about, pick a topic that you're passionate about and not just because you're like, Oh, well like this will get me funding. Yeah. <laughs> um, Awesome. Awesome. Well, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Do you have any fun plans for Christmas? I know you're leaving London soon. Yes, I'm leaving London next Tuesday. So a week from today, the day we're recording. It's actually two days. Yeah. From when this will release. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A week from tomorrow. (laughs) So she'll be gone soon. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm going to Texas, which is where my uh, parents live. My Mm -hmm. sister, who lives in New York, but she'll also be coming home. So I'll be there for... I think a little under two weeks okay. and I'll just be eating and having yes. a nice time. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'll be sticking around London for Christmas. Um, and I've been in the area around Christmas time before. Um, so I'm like used to the vibe, but like, it'll be nice to like be here for an extended period of time. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm Nigerian. So there's lots of Nigerians in the area. So I actually have like three close family members in this area actually so I'll definitely I'll stay with my aunt for Christmas um so looking forward to all the food we'll be having mm-hmm. um yeah so I think it's gonna be awesome so I just just hope everyone has a fun and safe holiday season take some time to spend time with your family um and I feel like there's something else I was gonna say but I'm like totally blanking right now but oh yes I was gonna tell everyone that if you know anyone in New York they should let let you know like any second generation Ghanaians, yeah, right? Yeah, so these yeah. are people who were born outside of Ghana mm-hmm. to at least one Ghanaian person. So they don't necessarily need to be both Ghanaian parents. Yeah, yeah. Both parents don't have to be Ghanaian. Yeah. And the person they don't have to have been born in the, the US or you or New York. They just as long as they were born outside of Ghana, grew up outside of Ghana. Yeah. Um you're interested in talking to them yeah yeah awesome thank you so much um and thank you all so much for being with us today i hope you enjoyed this uh unconventional i guess i guess it's different because this is the first time that na and i aren't together for uh a part of the podcast so definitely let us know what you thought of this discussion um if you have more questions about the phd process um but then of course like questions about maintaining those ties and the Mm -hmm. importance of um keeping in touch with our traditions and our history. Um, so definitely let us know like in the comments of on our Instagram page always or like down below, mm-hmm. whether you're listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, whatever it is, just like let us know um, what your thoughts are on how you hold on to the history and the stories of whether your family or like the country you identify with at large. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.